Hi there, my name is Mac MacDonald. You may have heard of me before. Uh, there was a song about me and my farm some years ago. I've never wanted to be anything but a farmer when I was just a child. My teachers used to tell me in elementary school, said, Mac, one day you'll be outstanding in your field. And so I, I knew that that's what I wanted to be. My senior year in high school, I was voted most likely to succeed. And so farming has just been who I am and what I do. I like to be outdoors. I like to plant seed. I like to watch them grow. But most of all, I like the harvest time when it comes time to harvest the crops and I get paid and I can feed my family. Now, I have here an old seed bucket. And so I want to ask you today what it would be like as a farmer if I decide to fill my bucket up with seed and I go out into the field and I spend five days walking through that field, but I never reach in and scatter seed. Well, some people would say, well, farmer, Mac, you're a fool because you can't grow crops without sowing seed. And you would be right. You know, the Bible talks about, about sowing seed. Jesus in the fourth chapter of Mark talked about the four soils and that the farmer goes out to sow. The Bible talks about sowing sparingly or sowing generously. So we understand the importance of the organic part of life. There's an organic part to the church as well. See, if you stop and think about it, every Sunday we go to church and we fill our bucket with seed. The seed is the gospel, the Word of God. Now, we would be very foolish if we decided that we would just walk through the field all week long as a farmer and never plant any seed. We wouldn't make any money, we wouldn't have any food to eat, and we'd look foolish in the eyes of the world. Well, the church can no longer function properly if we do not plant seed. They tell us that 60% of the people in our culture will not attend the church. And so that means we have to go where they are and we have to spread the gospel and share the good news. So we don't just go to church on Sunday and fill our bucket, but we fill our bucket and then we go out into the mission field and all week long we sow. Now here at the Jacksonville Baptist Association, we're training people on how to sow the seed of the gospel, how to start gospel conversations, how to give a 15-second testimony to connect with people and engage them, and also how to tell God's story using three circles, and then how to follow up those people who come to know Christ and cultivate them into disciples. It is necessary for us to do this. We must go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them. We must, we must sow the seed of the gospel. And we want to ask you to consider being a part of this journey as we seek to swarm our city with gospel-centered churches who are willing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and sow the seeds into this very fertile field. he finally shut up. <laughs> Any resemblance between me and that guy is uh, purely coincidental. Uh, we all do things, and after we do them, we go, oh boy, I'm not sure that was a wise thing to do. But we were trying to communicate something here and trying to be a little creative when we made this 
made this video, and that is we try to train people to share the gospel. They tell us 98% of believers will never, ever lead another person to Jesus Christ. And as, it, as the video said, 60% of the people in our culture, and in some places more, a higher percentage, will never attend this church or any other of the almost 1,000 churches in greater Jacksonville. So we must go out into the highways and hedges and spread the gospel. And that's why we made this video, and that's what we do. We train people to share the gospel. It's good to be here today. Uh, thank you for allowing me. I say that, but then I realize you don't have any, you didn't have a choice in this decision. Your pastor scheduled me to be here, and then he left town, if that's any indication of what he thinks about my preaching. He also, he left me with a, a good subject, you know, uh, sin. I don't know if, he, if he'd uh, decided, made that decision based upon his knowledge of me, uh, or what, but uh, nonetheless, we're going to we're going to deal with it. We're gonna we're gonna talk today about the uh, the thirty words, and we're going to talk today about one phrase that is extremely important. But before we do, I, I want us to pray together, and let me explain why. Two days this week, I spent in the debris field. That's what I call it that begins at Tallahassee, Florida, and goes west all the way to Pensacola. Um, In a conversation with a man who's been doing disaster relief for 25 years, he said, I've never seen anything like this. He's been to Katrina. The aftermath of Katrina has been to the aftermath of Hugo on on the East Coast. He's been to a number of these. He said, I've never seen anything like the devastation we were we were standing in Panama City the day before yesterday, and it is if you've been over there, it looks like a war zone, and damage starts at Tallahassee and goes west. Uh, he estimated that probably ten thousand square miles have been affected by Hurricane Michael, and so we are in a we're in a tough situation today. Between 60 and possibly 100 or more churches, Southern Baptist churches, will not have a place to worship or they will be worshiping today in damaged facilities without electricity, without air conditioning. Well, of course, they probably won't need it today, this good fall weather. Uh, but nonetheless, it is a very, very difficult situation. Unfortunately, the coming election and the approaching of the folks from South America have, um, or Central America has taken uh, Hurricane Michael off the map as far as the news, go, news goes, and I'm afraid uh, it's, it's going to be a very long and difficult situation. So today, could we pause for just a moment and let's pray for those who are today worshiping in very difficult environments, families rebuilding their lives, churches trying to find a footing so that they can minister to their communities. So let's pause for a moment and pray for them, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we come into your presence today well aware that you you sit on the throne, 
that you are in control, that, that you have knowledge of the situation. And we know today that you're deeply aware and your heart hurts because of what's going on in our sister churches that are west of us. Not only Baptist churches, but Lord, churches of many faiths who today are trying to give their, get their lives back together so they can minister to their communities. So we pray for them. We pray for all peoples who've been damaged. We pray, Father, for those, for those who now are maybe more open to the gospel. We pray that somebody will be there to sow the seed of the gospel into their lives. And I pray, Father, that you will help those churches recover and be stronger than ever and help them, Father, to be faithful to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen. If you will, uh, give your attention to the screen. We're going to, we're going to read two verses this morning that are powerful. And because they're so powerful and they're the word of God and they're from the revelation, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read them together. How about that? Okay. As we talk, as, as we get into this series, by the way, you are very blessed to have a, a pastor and preacher like Dr. Gary Weber. And this series has been put together. It is an awesome series that he has put together. And so uh, you, I want you to listen because what you're hearing is the heart of the gospel. And if we don't get the gospel right, we have no reason to be here. Church is all about the preaching of the gospel. And so he has done a great job of putting this together. And it, it is powerful. And we read today, in just a moment, from the first chapter of the Revelation, it is a message directly from God to the seven churches of Asia. And by the way, the same message that God would send to the churches in Asia, he would send to the churches in America and around the world today. And tucked away in this first chapter is what we find in verses 5 and 6 as the heart of the gospel. Let's read it together. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What a great passage. What an exalting passage that exalts Jesus Christ. And what a great passage that gives us what I consider to be a mission statement, you might say, for the church of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is true... If, if, if you read the verses just before that, it tells us that Jesus Christ is this. Or, or in, in verse 5, it tells us that Jesus Christ is a faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. If Jesus Christ is that, then my friends, we need to understand that verses 5 and 6 tell us this was the mission of God 
because it was the mission of Jesus Christ who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we know today in 2018 that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and whatever Jesus knew, we need to know. Whatever Jesus did, we need to do. And so we have in this not only a clarification of the gospel, but we have in here a a mission for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, here are the 30 words, as you'll see them on the screen this morning. The 30 words that, that make up the series that you're doing. You've already been through some of them. The 30 words are these. Jesus is God with us. Come to show, God's, show us God's love. Jesus is God in the flesh. He has come to be with us to show us God's love. And today we're talking about to save us from sin. That's the purpose of his mission, is to save us from sin. To set up God's kingdom and to shut down religion. Just this last week, I took my phone, gave a 15-second testimony to a young lady behind the, the, the cashier's desk at a local restaurant, shared with her how Christ could change her life because she was tired of religion. She'd been down the religion road, and it had not satisfied her. But I explained to her in a few moments, as I went back through those three circles, I explained to her how Jesus Christ could free her from religion. And that's exactly what he came to do, so that we can share in God's life. The message of redemption, the message of hope, is contained In these brief 30 words, today our subject is to save us from our sin. There's an old story. It's a story that everybody here has heard one time or another. In fact, we've probably repeated the words. It's a tragic story of of failure. It's It's a tragic story of disintegration. It's a tragic story that, that is a, a story of fragmentation. In fact, you've read the words before. They were originally written back in the 1800, late 1700s, and the words go like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. And Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Now, before some of you thumpers, now, there may be some of you here today, you know, thumpers say, you know what a thumper is, I want to hear from the Word of God. Okay, I want you to know that is not, that Humpty Dumpty is not the essence of my message today. It's an illustration. So be sure to tell Dr. Weber that I did not preach on a nursery rhyme, okay? I want you to be sure. In fact, I I cleared this with him. But we know the story of Humpty Dumpty. He was a good egg. He really was. But something drove Humpty Dumpty up the wall. We don't know what it was. Maybe it was his kids. Maybe it was his wife. 
All of us have things that drive us up the wall. Things that just literally get under our skin and irritate us and we, we want to get away. We don't know why. Maybe, maybe he just was tired of the pace of life and he just wanted to get somewhere peaceful by himself. But the tragic thing is that Humpty Dumpty fell. And regardless of all the extra effort that was placed on to put him back together, the king's horses and the king's men, Humpty Dumpty couldn't be put back together again. Humpty's story is my story. Humpty, Humpty's story is your story. Because the Bible says that we were born in sin and we are cracked, we are broken, we are tragically fragmented, and there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ of our ever being able to be restored. Psychology can't do it. Sociology can't do it. The economy can't do it. Politics certainly not going to do it. Nothing can put us back together again. And so we are tragically hopeless outside of the one person who can bring into our lives restoration can bring into our lives redemption and can not only restore us but make us brand new, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That the great exchange takes place, that we give him our sin, we bring our sin to him and he places upon us a robe of righteousness. He, He cleanses us of our sin and he takes away our sin and he gives us a new life. We sometimes forget that's why Jesus came, right? In a couple of months, less than two months, we'll be celebrating Christmas. There's something special about the Christmas season. I sometimes wonder how much of it is is a result of emotional uh, remembrances of our childhoods or the, the family aspect or whatever it might be, or I think a lot of it is we, we become enamored with babies, and we just love sweet little baby Jesus, little seven-pound, ten-ounce baby Jesus. <laughs> and so we just fall in, you know, it's hard not to fall in love with babies. I love babies. I have six granddaughters. Unfortunately, the youngest one now is 17. But I have great grandkids. But anyway, I won't go there. I won't show pictures. But anyway, I, I want to, I, you know, we, we get enamored with babies. You know, they say women cry at weddings. I cry at births. When I was a pastor, I would go and, and it would be my opportunity to take that little baby out of the crib and hold it for a moment and pray over that baby and over that, over that, uh, th- that couple. But I found that I'd, I couldn't get through them without shedding tears. There's something special about little babies. And so at Christmas, we get all excited about the manger, and we get excited about the fact that, that, that Jesus was born as a babe in Bethlehem, and he was placed in a, in a manger, and, and, and we forget that you cannot, in the gospel, you cannot separate that manger in Bethlehem from an old rugged cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Jesus didn't come to be a baby in a manger 
and remain there. Jesus came on a mission. And so he came on a mission. That mission was that he would come and he would preach the gospel. He would call his people to himself. And then at the close of those 33 years, he would be nailed to a cruel cross. And the blood that would, would pour from his body would come from his, his veins, would wash us clean and give us new life. When the angel came to Joseph back in chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 21, you know, Joseph's trying to figure out what to do, you know. He has not been with his, has not been with his uh, bride, but, you know, his future wife, but yet she's with child. And so the angel has explained it, it to him. And in the midst of explaining to him, hey, Joseph, it's all right. That, that child is, is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit of God. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that difficult situation, the angel makes a very, very important uh, statement that I believe is the most important statement and the most important verse that comes at Christmas. Verse 21 says, And you will call his name Jesus, which means Savior. You will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sin. A manger in Bethlehem. A rugged cross outside Jerusalem. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to be our redeemer. I want you to remember two words today. I want you to remember, first of all, I want you to remember the, the, the word that is, is so important to us. And that is substitution. He was the substitute for us. That should have been me nailed to a cross. I should suffer for my sin. God is a God of justice. And though I'm a sinner, the, the Bible tells me in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not only that, but the Bible tells me that the wages of sin is death. In Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life, what? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that Jesus came to save us, and he became our substitute. And he died on the cross for us. Sometimes it's difficult for us to understand the justice of God which demands that sin, that sin be paid for and the love and the grace and the mercy of God which takes away our sin. Let me give you a little illustration. In a small town in rural south, the buckle of the Bible belt, there was a man who was a judge and if you're a county judge in the county seat town, in a small town in the south, some of you were raised there. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows everybody else's business. Just so happened that this judge's best friend who lived in the county, the guy he hunted with and fished with and went to church with, got arrested for committing a crime. 
That meant that this guy who had been arrested, good solid evidence that he'd been arrested through the arrest, good solid evidence that he was guilty, he was going to come before the judge who was his best friend. The day for the trial, the entire the entire court was filled, even in the balcony around the... I mean, it was there. I mean, it was filled. Everybody wanted to see how this was going to play out. What was going to happen? The judge is going to have to handle the case of his best friend. What's it going to look like? The judge came in and, and sat down at his seat and and they called the case, and his friend came and stood before him. And when he did, the judge says, I pronounce you guilty. And upon pronouncing him guilty, he gave him the stiffest fine, the most expensive fine possible for his failure, for his, for his crime. And people gasped, my stars. I thought they were friends. But then something very unusual happened. The judge got up from his seat, took off his, his judge's robe, laid it on his chair, walked down, and as he walked down to the desk where you pay your fine, he took out his wallet, and he took out the money, and he paid the fine for his best friend. What did the judge do? He, he, he did exactly what a judge is supposed to do. He dispensed justice. Folks, we need to understand, we need to understand that God is a God of justice, okay? We, we've kind of gotten this, this idea nowadays that, you know, God's just a God of love. He's not a God of justice. No, folks, he's a God of justice. Sin is real. Hell is real. Eternal punishment is real. It's there. <coughs> Excuse me. It's there because it's in this book and we know it to be true. God is still a God of justice. But just as important as that, and maybe even more so, is that he is a God of love and grace and mercy. And the very judge who says to us, you are guilty, you are sinners, and there is a, the, the wages of that sin is death, eternal punishment, eternal separation from God. The same judge took off his priestly robe in heaven and he came to earth and took on the, the form of a man and he went to the cross and he shed his blood to pay the fine to release us to a brand new life that's available to us only through the act of the judge who became the servant, who became the sacrifice, who became the substitute for our sins. My friends, there's only one way to heaven. Now, there, there are a lot of people, and, and alarmingly so, people who've been interviewed who are supposedly born-again believers who say, oh, you know, Christianity is just one of the ways to get to heaven. All religions end up at the same place. Not so. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. 
pretty narrow door. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few there be that find it, Jesus said. But the story of Jesus coming from heaven and paying our fine to open the door for us to be able to enter in is the greatest love story. And that's why he came, was to be our substitute, to take our place, to take my place and die for my sin. The second word I want to say to you this morning, not only substitution, he is the substitute, but not only that, he is our redeemer. He's the one who brings redemption. Redemption, to redeem something means to buy it back. A little boy one day decided uh, he's out of school and watched his father work in the wood shop and and he he longed to try something and so the family is doing other things and he goes into his father's wood shop one day and he begins to work with some of the tools and he fashions a little sailboat and he paints it up and he fixes it and he is so proud of that and he takes that beautiful newly prepared boat down to the lake and he puts it in the edge of the water and the boat is catching the the gentle breezes and it's going and he's so proud of this beautiful little boat that he's fashioned but then suddenly a gust of wind comes along and it takes the boat out beyond his reach in fact he stands on the shore and he watches it disappear around the bend and though he would search the the shores uh, later and try to find that little boat he, he could not find it anywhere it was gone it was lost and then one day, he was walking downtown, a small village, and he's walking downtown, and he passes this shop, and something catches his eye, and he stops, and he noticed that there in the window was his little boat. He knew it. I mean, he had fashioned it with his own hands. He could recognize it, and, and so he immediately goes into the store, and he, he inquires of the shopkeeper. He says, listen, tell me, uh, is... Is that boat for sale? And the guy said, yes, it is. He said, how much do you want for it? And the, he told the little boy, and he said, don't sell that. I'll be right back with the money. And he goes home, and he turns his piggy bank upside down. He gets enough money out, and he comes back with his money, and he hands it to the shopkeeper. And the shopkeeper takes his money and hands him the boat. And he was overheard as he walked out the door of the shop with his boat in his hand, Little boat, you're twice mine. I made you, but you got away. But now I've bought you back in your mind again. Folks, that's the story of God's redemptive plan for us. He made us perfect, but in the Garden of Eden, sin entered and brokenness came, and we're all born fragmented. But Jesus came and he redeemed us. He paid the price, the penalty on the cross. And by grace, a few moments ago we read from Ephesians 2. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of works lest any man should boast. And so by grace we can be saved. But it's because our Redeemer who first made us perfect, is now 
restoring us. He's bought us back. He paid the price. And he invites us to come and enjoy the life he has for us. That boat was made for a purpose. It was made for the enjoyment of that little boy who made it, who fashioned it. Listen, folks, you and I were created. We were fashioned by the hand of God and placed on this earth for the enjoyment of our Heavenly Father. We sometimes forget what Christianity is all about. It's not just our being saved from our sin, but it's also about the fact that we've been saved to a new purpose, and that purpose is found in obedience to Jesus Christ. There's no greater life. The band's going to come uh, to the stage in preparation for our next song. And as they come, I want to I share something with you. I want to share with you my story. And I know some of you are looking at me and saying, Oh my gosh, as old as he is, we'll be here the rest of the day. <laughs> I got some good news for you. We try to teach people how to share their story in 15 seconds. And God's given me many opportunities to to take my iPhone and to hold it out and use the three circles to share my testimony. I once was broken. I'm like Humpty Dumpty, right? I once was broken, and I was far from God. But someone told me Jesus could give me abundant life. So I turned from my sin and trusted him, and now I have peace and purpose. Do you have a story like that? See, if you don't have a story like that, it doesn't matter where you go to church or how many times you go to church. There's only one way, and that is by repenting of our sins and turning to Jesus Christ. Only then can we find eternal life. At the close of this service, I'll be down here for a few moments. If you don't have a story like that, but you you would like to change that, I'd be glad to talk to you. There are other people here who can do that. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you right now, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who does not have a story where Jesus is the champion and the Savior, the Redeemer, and Lord, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. He invites us to come, Lord. You invite us to come and follow you. And you will make us become fishers of men. You will make us to enjoy peace and purpose that only you can provide. So I pray that today would be a day of decision and a day of response. As your Holy Spirit draws and pulls and tugs at our heart, I pray that today would be a day of obedience. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, I pray. Amen.